from RTE Radio. I'm Neil O'Sheridan. This is Playback Daily. I was hoping a bleeding can of monster then when he seen me. I said, this thing will bleed. This thing will kill me. If I'll drop on the field if I have this thing. And little did I know I bleeding did. You see, I'm not going to be popular, right? <laughs> and I have to say, don't shoot the messenger. Funny, chassis. Uh, slaggy, no, slaggy. And, slaggy, and no one likes silence. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on this edition of Playback Daily, the world has more good people than you might think. The best wind-down watches on TV and Graham Norton on how the Irish are the funniest of them all. That's all on the way over the next hour of the radio catch-up show that's ready, willing and able to be your wind-down listen tonight. Let's start with Shea Burns' monologue from the 9 o'clock show this morning and his thoughts on the Republican Party's nomination process, the Iowa caucuses in the US. Ron DeSantis was out. And if you know Ron DeSantis, he's one of the candidates. He was probably the, the uh, second place to Trump for, for many, many months and actually a couple of years. And that isn't quite the position anymore. He was, I suppose he was seen as the candidate who could finally loosen Donald Trump's uh, GOP hold, Grand Old Party or Republican Party hold. Uh, but wooden campaigning and staffing woes have blighted his chances. Well, he was out uh, working the stumps, as we say, and he met a lot of protesters on the way. So when someone approached him with a gold statue, a comedian, and uh, walked up to him to thank him for his uh, candidacy in the 2024 race, and he had a trophy, but the trophy wasn't for what you might expect it to be. It was for... Real quick, before we get started, thank you, everyone. Governor DeSantis, I want to present to you this participation oh. trophy. <laughs> now, probably not going to win the election, right? But we're proud of you for trying. One of those ambush. He got ambushed essentially. He got through all the security, got through all the staffers, got out through everybody to get to the front, looked the part, and had the trophy in his hand. And it's a participation trophy. Now, in sport for young people, participation medals are very important and they make sure that everybody feels that their achievement on the day is marked. They're controversial. Some parents don't like them, some coaches don't like them. I like them. I think their their kids go away with, with something in their hand and say, Look, I got that. And it's a memory of that particular event as well. But he had a participation trophy. So initially he was like, no, I don't need a participation trophy. But then he realised, having been assaulted and attacked by various uh, climate protesters, that maybe it wasn't, it wasn't so bad, really. Well, it's better than the other guys who were coming about the oil stuff. Uh, they're, they're charging the stage and complaining about fossil fuels in the middle of a blizzard. So. <laughs> yeah, middle of the blizzard. There's Ron DeSantis saying... Uh, willfully ignoring the connection between the worsening cold weather and the climate crisis. Oh, it's better than when they were coming at me with the... Yeah, do you know why it's so cold? Anyway, that's Ron DeSantis. A participation trophy is his today. Not where I was expecting the nine o'clock show to go in its musings on the news monologue, I'll be honest. But yeah, Ron DeSantis. The prospect of another crazy US presidential election means many people will be exercised and many, many awful things will be said and it will all be hard to avoid. So we need a distraction, don't we? It's it's award season. You can't turn the telly on or off without an award. Someone's given somebody an award, not just Ron DeSantis getting an award because the Critics' Choice Awards were on over the weekend and Robert Downey Jr. won a Critics' Choice Award for the Best Supporting Actor in Oppenheimer. Critics' Choice Association, you know, they've given me such beautiful feedback, really, just so many great moments, and some of it's so poetic. I just want to share some of their thoughts with you over the year. The first one's kind of like haiku, sloppy, messy, and lazy. 
This was from a Brit. A puzzling waste of talent. And uh, lastly, in this one lingered, um, amusing as a bedlocked fart. <laughs> I have never heard it described like that. Amusing as a, well, there's no point in me repeating it. Robert Downey said it. <laughs> bedlocked. That's, I tell you, that's a new one. Relevant to a lot of households, particularly after the weekend. Harrison Ford was also there. Actually, watching Harrison Ford receive his award was quite an emotional uh, few moments with three minutes. And he gave one of the most memorable speeches of Sunday Night's Critics' Choice Awards. A visibly emotional Ford took to the stage midway through the ceremony to accept the Career Achievement Award. First of all, I'm really happy to be here tonight to see what our business is turning into. And all of the talented people who are getting opportunities that probably would not have existed in in my uh, early part of my career. I'm very happy about that. It's nice. That's part of a longer speech if you get to have a chance to listen to it. It's very poignant and of course started off as a carpenter which in the film Witness he reprised his role as a carpenter because he was living with the Amish community. Remember Kelly McGillis? Uh, where he was a detective protecting a young boy who'd been a witness. And uh, he exhibited some of his carpentry skills there too. But one more thing from it. Ryan Gosling. Everybody loves Ryan Gosling, don't they? Ah, Ryan. I just don't know who I am without you. You're Ken. But it's Barbie and Ken. There is no just Ken. Doesn't seem to matter what I do. I'm always number two. No one knows how hard I tried Oh, oh, I, I have feelings that I can't explain Driving me insane Oh, Ken All my life been so polite Cause I'm just Ken You're not just Ken, you're, you're Ken you just stand up and be strong The Canadian actor who's 43 furrowed his eyebrows and looked slightly horrified after the track was named Best original song at the event <laughs> His deadpan expression with uh, had the social media buzz with the star thankfully not going on stage to accept the award with writers Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt accepting the honour. Now, isn't that, you know, that's quite magnanimous. He sat in the audience and let the people who wrote the song go and collect it instead of standing up there. But his expression, if you just get a chance to see it, it's very funny. That's the best bits from the Critics' Choice Awards as neatly packaged up for us by Shea Byrne this morning. One more little monologue nugget from this morning. The Swedes growing trendy stuff in the garden. And trust the Swedes to turn an ugly garden into a thing of beauty. An email arrived uh, from the Royal Horticultural Society into Jane Schilling's desk and it's predicting gardening trends in the coming year. So what do you think the gardening trends might be? Well, purple veg are set to be a thing with the mauve spectrum encompassing not just the more familiar, well, we're all familiar with purple sprouting broccoli now in the little packet at the as you come in the door. Uh, of the grocery of the, the to do your messages and the Lolo Rosso lettuce I never know which lettuce is which I only remember the old butterhead that we used to get it's the one I still had a little bit of peat on it uh, but carrots cauliflowers and peas are set to become the trend this year and purpley ones yeah and we were talking about climate change well figs apricots melons and vines are also set to be part of the trends this year and wildflowers Remember wildflowers? Oh yes, wildflowers. Um, we used to 
go looking for dandelions, plantain and the malodorous Herb Robert. And now they're not t- just tolerated, they're positively encouraged. Yeah, well, I know somebody who was in their back garden one night and been given a present of a box of wildflower seeds and had this beautifully graveled garden. And in their mind, after, you know, spending an evening at the barbecue, etc., etc., we won't go into details, decided that at about 11 o'clock before they went to bed, that they'd spread all the wild seed around the gravel so that it would these be beautiful wild seeds would grow up in the gravel. And I can tell you, I know him. He has never been able to get rid of them out of the gravel. And when they start sprouting, they came up within days. It was like the day of the Triffids. They just grew and grew and grew. And his children said to him, how did that happen? And then one night, after another barbecue, he had to admit that it was him, that he had spread all the wildflower seeds. I think you might know this guy. Yeah, if you're ever in my back garden. I wonder who it could possibly be. That's the mystery monologue cliffhanger ending to today's nine o'clock show monologue, courtesy of Mr. Shea Byrne. Is the restaurant industry in Ireland at crisis point? Several high-profile closures have led to some in the industry to call on the government to step in with supports. Claire Byrne this morning spoke to Adrian Cummins, Chief Executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, and Stephen Vaughan, owner of the White Rabbit Restaurant, which is closing at the start of February. She started by asking Adrian Cummins if we are indeed at a crisis point and what he thought the government ought to do. We are at a crisis point. Governments need to intervene immediately. We're looking for the reinstatement of the 9% VAT rate for food-led businesses across the state. We're looking for the warehouse tax for our industry to be extended over a 10-year period of repayment. And also they need to sit down with us in terms of the overall cost structure for our industry uh, in terms of a support package around that. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to see nearly up to 500 businesses in the next two to three months that will will close. We're at 282 businesses uh, on on Thursday evening. You can add another two to that, includes the White Rabbit announcement and another business in in Mayo over over the weekend. And there seems to be every every day two to three businesses closing down that are food-led in this country. So based, uh, based on the last couple of months, you're saying that it could be another 500 over the next two to three months? Will be up to five hundred by, uh, by in the total. end. Uh, in total, by the end uh, end of February, beginning of March, is our estimate at the rate mm-hmm. of businesses closing down at the moment. You mentioned the warehouse tax. There, will you explain that for people who might not be aware what is going on on that front? So there's two hundred and eighty million euros worth of warehouse tax due back to the state from food led businesses that was accumulated over the pandemic. That's where a business was able to put that tax due to the state into a, let's call it a warehouse, and the promise to the to the, to the the revenue that they will pay it back uh, at some period of time at an, at an interest rate uh, uh, on that of about 3%. That's falling due now in May, where the revenue is looking for that warehouse tax to be paid back. Um, and we, we know from our members that they just don't have that level of money to pay back in, in May. And we're saying to the saying very clearly, this there has to be a repayment period of up to 10 years for these businesses. So, you know, whatever is due back to the state, they will pay back, but we need to extend that period from three years out to 10 years. So it's important that the government uh, speak with revenue and allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, these businesses won't have, won't have the cash flow to, to remain in business and then they will liquidate and close down. And the reduction in the VAT rate back to down to 9% for the sector. Now, surely that would mean that you would just be cutting, that your members would be cutting prices that they're charging to their consumers. 
No, we're saying that the 9% VAT rate is the right rate for, for our industry to be sustainable and viable. We said this to the government when they uh, proceeded in increasing the VAT rate from 9 to 13.5% last September. This is the wrong thing to do and it was going to close businesses. And now you can see the businesses that are closing, they are they are saying very clearly that the VAT rate was one of the factors that, is closed, that has closed their business. And we saw there over the high-profile closure um, last week of a business in Cork where it was very clear that it was the 9% VAT rate that closed that business uh, and uh, you know we're saying to government now is that the 9% VAT rate must be reinstated in line with the rest of Europe and which is an argument that we put forward uh, back uh, in last sep- September. So we need to have that back in place as, as quickly as possible. Okay well let's talk to Stephen Vaughan now owner of White Rabbit. Stephen good morning to you. Good morning. So you've made this decision that your branch on McCarthy Street is going to close just in, in a couple of weeks, in two weeks' time. Why did you... The 4% we were going to close it. Why? The costs, as Adrian outlined there, the costs kind of associated with, with running a restaurant like that, is, it, it, they've just become unabsorbable, you know, and we've got to the stage where there's only so much you can absorb and there's only so many times you can put up the price of the food before you, you start seeing negative consequences then, you know. Um, and at the, the way things are going, we, we had a long, hard look at it over Christmas and since Christmas and it's 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 just, it's not feasible to keep mm. going the way that we're doing it, you know. And it's not that you're not full, is that is that right? No, we're very busy. We're as busy as we've ever been. Obviously, you now January is quiet, but we're, we're not seeing a decrease in numbers over the last six months. It's literally down to the the price of feeding those people that are coming in, they've all, all these prices have, have, have gone up in multiples, you know. Our electricity bill is double what it was two or three years ago. Um, the VAT increased last September. Anybody who, who listened to anyone in the restaurant industry last September would have known that this was coming, you know, for, for various businesses. Um, the Restaurants Association were, were very loud about it and nobody took any t- attention, you know. Uh, nobody paid any notice. And, and now the fruition of that is coming through where businesses are having to close on the back of it, you know. Mm, so electricity and VAT, they're the two things you mentioned. Is there they, anything else? Yeah, but also the cost, the inputs, the, the, so the food prices, as everyone knows, for, for, for taking home your shopping at the end of the week, it's the same for restaurants. What we buy in is is gone up as well, you know. Um, and there's only so many times you can put up the prices like I said, um, we've always kind of prided ourselves on kind of serving unpretentious food in an unpretentious environment. And you can't say that you're, you're a server. You can't sell unpretentious food at 22 euros a place. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's fine dining level. And people, that's, that's not our customer base. And it's not what people are prepared to pay, you know. And what about staff costs? Is that an issue? It hasn't been a huge one for us. Um, but again, it... it, it, it it looked like it was going to become one. Um, we kind of always prided ourselves on, on paying above minimum wage. Um, I'm not saying that restaurants that, that pay minimum wage are doing anything wrong, but we always did a bit above. The problem that that leads on to by increasing the minimum wage is that the waiter, the waitress, or the bartender who was quite happy with their loss two months ago because they were getting paid two euros or three euros above minimum wage. They now want to see that increase as well. So it's not just staff and minimum wage are going to get the, the wage increase. All staff will, will, will look for it, you know, mm-hmm. and rightly so. But it's not, a, it's not a cost that we can absorb. It's not part of the business model, you know. Yeah. Can, can I talk to you a bit more about what you were charging customers and what by rights you should be to cover your costs? So say you have a main and if people can imagine this, they're going in to have something like, let's say a pork sandwich, right? I'm, I assume yeah. that would be served with what? With salad or chips well, or something? If you, if you come, we do, we do a pulled pork sandwich and two sides. And at the moment there, that's 13 Okay, which to is very reasonable. That we had two years ago. 
if we were making the same money over that that sandwich in two sides that we were two years ago, three years ago, we should be charging 18 or 19 euros for it. Mm-hmm. You see, and people, people won't pay people, that. People won't pay it and, and we don't want to be charging that amount of money. But if we wanted to maintain the margins that were profitable, that's what we would be charging. Mm-hmm. We're not charging it because, again, people don't want to pay it and we don't want to charge it. But it's, it's unsustainable with the cost so high. The, the, the restaurant business is very low margin, you know, and any time a, a cost increase comes in, if we passed on every increase to the, to the customer, we'd be charging astronomical amounts of money. Stephen, I so what we would like to regard as, as, as affordable food, you know, that's yeah. what we always did. I don't want to leave people with the impression that White Rabbit is gone because you're not. We're not, no. We have two other outlets. We're in the Marina Marcus um, in Cork and we have a deli in Princess Street in the city centre. Um, they're different business models. So they're, they're good for now, you know. They're kind of... Um, the, 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 their lower staff costs going in there and there's, there's no front of house service involved with it. A lot of it is takeaway. Um, uh, the Marina Market is a great setup for, for vendors in terms of keep being able to, to manage costs. Um, <clears throat> but the full service restaurant like we had in McCartan Street, which was our first restaurant, which kind of launched the brand or kind of established us as, as what we do, um, the costs associated with that mm-hmm. are, are too high, you know. Stephen Vaughan, owner of the White Rabbit Restaurant in Cork, and Adrian Commons, chief executive of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, talking to Claire Byrne this morning about what they're calling a crisis in the industry in Ireland. Broadcaster, writer and comedian Graham Norton spoke to Ray Darcy this afternoon about a new show on Amazon Prime Video called LOL, Last One Laughing Ireland. Anyone who has Prime Video will, if you look, you'll see this format. They've rolled it out across the globe. So there's Last One Laughing, you know, all sorts of places. And now Ireland. Yeah. And the premise is that you have 10, 12 comedians in a room. Yep. 10 of them. And the idea is you can't laugh, but you've got to try and make everyone laugh. So you can't just sit in a room, all of you doing nothing not laughing you've got to attempt to make the other people laugh and not laugh yourself which I will grant you on paper sounds like a dull watch (laughs) (laughs) what just 10 people not laughing for you know that many hours but uh, actually if you watch any of the others uh, you'll see that it is a lot of fun and I have to say I would say for my money uh, the Irish one is the best one because I do think they've cast it really, really well. And we're very funny, Graham. Exactly. <laughs> funny, chatty. Uh, slaggy, and, slaggy. And, slaggy, and no one likes silence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, those 10 Irish comics were never going to sit there quietly. I so, don't know yeah. if these 10 Irish comics would ever have been in a room together if not brought together by this programme. <laughs> Some of them would. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Some of them would. But yes, you're right. Some of them, no. No. Not, not so much. There was, there was some nice tension there. The, well, as the, as the show goes on, because yeah. it's filmed over a day and it's not fake it is a real day we actually were there for the day and uh, yes there's there's light and shade there's a there's some there's you can you can sense the history in the room yeah yeah, yeah. so you've uh, the likes of Ashling B Amy Huberman yeah well, Jason Bourne Deirdre Kane, Dave yeah. McSavage uh, yeah, and then there's uh, newer people like uh, Martin Angolo and uh, Emma Doran, uh, Catherine Bowart. I mean, Catherine Bowart's doing very well over yeah. over in the UK. Yeah. But uh, and then, but I liked like, Paul Tylek. Like, 
Just in case. Oh, yes. yes more toilet, then yes. That, when you start naming. Yeah. You started you this. I wasn't going near it. <laughs> <laughs> I try to remember people's children. Uh, um, uh, yes, Bald Alec, very, very good. Yeah, yeah. We've probably forgotten somebody. Yes. Yeah, we probably have. Anyway, look, they're all great. Yes. But people like Amy Huberman, I think, you know, people would be really surprised by her because, you know, she's an actor. She's a kind of a personality. But, you know, she doesn't do stand-up. She mm. doesn't have an act. And she did really well in that room. Because uh, it's a you know because it is a tough gig. You'd want to have your wits about you to kind of. But she go has in there. funny bones. She does. Yeah. She's just a funny person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's uh, funny. Yeah. And and did you while watching all these comedians do what they do? Did you go? Oh, maybe I'll do a bit of stand up again. No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> no, whatever th- whatever thoughts crossed my mind during that day. That wasn't that one was, of them. That wasn't one of them. No, I did a lot of laughing, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, because real laughing, real laughing. Because yeah. I, I know Chacho hosts laughing. <laughs> We're doing it now. Funny. Yeah, but. Uh, no, genuinely, there are some very, very funny set pieces because the idea is, uh, yes, there's kind of just general interaction, people kind of improving and doing bits, but then people have prepared bits. There's a kind of little stage in the room and every now and again, someone will go up and do a prepared bit. Mm. And some of them genuinely just die a death, It's a, which... It's funny in itself. It's kind of funny in itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Certainly, you know, sitting in my chair, yeah. it's funny. Uh but then other people do... There's a bit that Tony Cantwell does that is genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It is brilliant. Really, really, really funny. Yeah. Um, I, I read somewhere that you said you never considered yourself to be a brilliant comedian. You were better at being an MC. Yeah, that was the thing I enjoyed doing. Because right. there's no pressure on you. If you're the compare of an evening, uh, you know, you're just whatever uh, you know the pressure's on the axe and so that was the that was what I liked uh-huh. doing because I was always I was a middling comic I was never a closer you know I was always kind of an opening act or a middle act but if I was a closer it was a very poor evening and this is something I'd never read about you before that um, you sort of manifest when you're when you were in your 20s in London to a friend that you wanted to be a chat show host. Well, now, this is weird. I don't remember that either. Oh, uh, great. So, right. yeah, but, but this but person said this. This person you. said this. Okay. And, I, and uh, you know, why would they make it up? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I do remember, I do remember we did a thing in drama school. It was an improvisation. And, uh, and I played a chat show host in this improvisation. And I do remember thinking, oh, actually, I'm quite good at this. <laughs> and I quite like doing it. Uh, and then, you know, it's not a job. You know, growing up, when I watched The Late Late Show, you know, you never dreamt of being Gay Byrne. You, you'd dream of being a guest. You wanted to be the shiny person being interviewed. Making him laugh yeah, and the that audience was, that was the yes. person you yeah. wanted to be. But of course, as an adult, now I realise that the gay burn role, that's the one to have because you're on the show every week. And, <laughs> yeah. and also, you, you kind of can ride out the vagaries of fame. You know, when I started 25 years ago, there were people we'd have killed to have on the show. And now we'd just kill. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we do not want them. Ah, the mellifluous tones of Chacho King Graham Norton talking to Ray Darcy this afternoon. So who did you go on the trip with? Why did you go on the trip? And what the hell happened? (laughs) This is Terry being interrogated by Shea Byrne on this morning's nine o'clock show. So my husband Dermot and I left plane in County Kildare 
um, on the bus to Dublin to get the train down to Cork because uh, to Galway rather because my husband turned 66 recently and part of his birthday present for me was a stay in the Leonardo Hotel and we decided we'd use his free travel card for the first time so we got the bus into town got off the bus in uh, at Houston Station to discover that all of his cards which were in a little card wallet and all the cash were gone so there was a bit of panic um, we the bus pulled away and we ran and got into a taxi. A lovely, lovely man called Mohammed Sharif or Sharif, and uh, he didn't ask who could pay or anything. He just said, "Get in, get in. We'll chase the bus." So we chased the bus down to O'Connell Street. Uh, Dermot got out and knocked on the door of the bus, and the bus driver didn't really want to let him back on, but he did, and he ran upstairs and checked the front seat where we had been sitting, but there was no wallet. Now, we definitely had it getting on the bus. We definitely didn't have it coming off. Um, So we've no idea what happened to the cards. The very nice taxi man brought us back to Houston Station, where I explained the situation to the man at the the train uh, desk. And he said, calm down, calm down. It's okay. You've got your tickets. You're okay. Off you go to Galway. In truth, Dermot just wanted to go home. But I said, no, we go to Galway. And uh, the train journey down, we were sitting across from a lovely lady called Lisa and her cousin Mick. And in the middle of the train journey, Lisa was very animated and very chatty. And we told her our story and she was scratching a lottery ticket and she scratched 50 euros. And she said, here, you take that 50 euros. We didn't take, (laughs) excuse me, we didn't take the 50 euros. Even the train conductor sat down to talk to us when he heard we were having a bad morning and he said he'd give us a little bit of free counselling. <laughs> so we got wonderfully, we met wonderfully kind people. The receptionist in the hotel, Benny is her name, she gave us a free drink because of the fact that we'd lost our money in our cards. So mm-hmm. very good, kind people and we just want to say thank you to them all. Oh, well, that's very good of you. But, you know, I suppose people are very ensconced in their cars and you're very comfortable and secure in your car and you can bring... Uh, oodles of stuff. You, you probably had to bring a smaller bag for your first trip on, on to a hotel for, on public transport. We did, Shay, and I am the queen of the big bag. I mean, I put in four coats because it could be cold, it could be wet, it could be dry, it could be sunny. Uh, so no, when you're travelling by public transport for the first time, it's a bit of a shake-up to my packing habits. But anyway, we survived. Yeah, we didn't have much with us, just a little carry-on bag each. And I suppose you wouldn't have met so many nice people. This is very true. I mean, we've, we we take a lot of short breaks in Ireland. We go to hotels, you know, fairly frequently. And uh, we always take the car. But we've decided we're going to try and use public transport now where at all possible. And we wouldn't have met any of those lovely people. Now, we also wouldn't have lost our money. But that's only money. People and kindness is more important, I think. How much trouble was Dermot in for losing his birthday present within a couple of <laughs> A couple of well, hours the wallet was a birthday present as well, so he, oh. was, he was not in any trouble. He's a wonderful husband. I couldn't, we're nearly, we're celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary oh. in March. So uh, I did very well. Ah. I got a good one. Ah. Now you see, I, I, I think, the, this, the, the, describe the wallet to us. What It was a different kind of wallet. It was. The, the, the make is Secret, S-E-C-R-I-D. Uh, it was bought in Bob and Kate's lovely shop in Clane. And, and it's sort of like a double card wallet. So it's supposed to keep your cards safe, that nobody can wipe them or skim them or whatever that expression is while they're in your pocket. Um, but it's quite small. It's only a little bit bigger than an actual credit card. And then it has a little space in the middle where you can put notes. And that's where the cash was. Now, you see, Terry, I think Dermot is probably a bit like me. I have a traditional wallet and I've had it forever. My dad had one and when he passed, I had his wallet for a long time and then I bought ones very similar. And people are telling me to change over to these card wallets. 
But I, I, I can feel that wallet in my pocket now. I know it's there. It's very comforting. And when it's not there, I know it's not there. So I wonder, right. I just wonder, is that what happened to Dermot? Maybe. And, you know, he said, I said to him on the way down, jokingly, I said, if we're walking by a shop, I'll go in and buy you another wallet. And I said, would you go back to the card one again? And he said, no, I'm going back to my old style wallet, just the one you like, Shay. Ah, you see, in a way, in a way, Terry, it's all your fault. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that's a whole new slant on it. Thank you, Shay. <laughs> no, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Were you were you were you surprised? I mean, were you surprised at how kind people were to you and and how many people you met on the trains and and as you as you walked around? Yeah, I really was because I was even commenting to Dermot on the train. You know, there were some young people sitting around. The train to Galway is a very busy train, and uh, and I was just commenting that they don't talk to each other. You know, they're all on your phones and they're all on tablets and they're all on their phone, and there isn't much conversation. You know, ours was the only table where there were four people talking to each other um, the, the whole way down. Well, that lady, Elisa, got off at Tullamore. Um, but, yeah, we met so many lovely people. I mean, the conductor was just an absolute dote, a young guy. He was just lovely. Um, and the man at the desk, when he said, he knew I was panicked. And he said, just calm down, relax, you're fine. Now, we did have proof that we had bought the tickets because we had an email and not bought the tickets, got the free tickets. But he said, you don't need that. It's fine. I take your word for it. There's your ticket. Get on the train. You know, we forget that there's a lot of kindness in the world yeah. because we only hear about the bad stuff. And fair play to you for saying, look, and I know how Dermot felt and he feels stupid. To be honest, you feel, you feel, oh, how did that happen? He didn't want to continue the trip, but you decided to do it. Are you glad that you decided to continue with it? We are so glad. We've had the loveliest two, few days. And I said to him, look, if we go home, we're just going to sit there, feel sorry for ourselves and be miserable. So we're not going to let this incident ruin our few days away. Uh, we're going to just go anyway. And uh, we're going to go back to the station now in Galway and ask a nice man or woman there <laughs> to give us a ticket since we no longer have the card. Um, and, uh, and then we'll get the bus home to clean. And we'll be back in our own place and we'll have had a lovely, lovely few days in lovely Galway. And the sun has shone. It's been beautiful. Ah, see, it always shines in Galway. It doesn't even rain. It never rains in Galway, you know that, don't no, you? No, it never rains in the West. That was Terry talking to Shea Byrne this morning about a bad thing that happened to her that showed her how many good people there are around. Oh, let's hope she enjoys the rest of the holiday and people keep being nice. Today with Clareburn reporter Brian O'Connor was back this morning with an update on the lack of services for children with disabilities in Tume. Essentially around the country, children's disability services, so we're talking about OT, speech and language and uh, different interventions, they're being brought together in uh, network teams. So these are called children's disability network teams. Um, 91 teams are now in place and a family forum has been set up for each team. As of mid-December, 68 forums are in place. These are family forums and they'd work with families on developing and improving services as well as communicating effectively. And we'll come back to those teams shortly because I did get a breakdown of staffing levels on each team that's been set up. In Tume, as you said, services were to be located at the Grove. This is a newly refurbished facility. But as we heard a little over a month ago, families told us how some of them have spent years waiting for engagement from the service and they're now paying privately. In one case, Claire, one family are doing virtual sessions with an OT based in Australia. Such are the issues trying to access services locally. The Minister with responsibility for this area, Anne Rabbit, responded to the issues in Tume and elsewhere following your report the last time. 
Yes, Minister Rabbit said she felt complete empathy for the families in Tume, which is in her constituency. She said she couldn't accept the situation in Tume. She apologised to families and to the countless families around the country having difficulty accessing services. She made it clear she was going to be engaging with the services, asking questions around staffing levels, access to services. And I can confirm now, Claire, that a review has been ordered into the issues in Tume. Now, before we get to that, let's just remind ourselves of some of the experience of families trying to access to services locally and failing. I met with Thomas Lawless from Tume. He has two children who have autism and he told me in early December of his frustration seeing this newly refurbished state-of-the-art facility and not being able to access any services that his children need. We're not getting them. Um, my children aren't getting them. And Are you getting any services? No, they've been on the waiting list now for one year and they haven't received any. So we had uh, a meeting with uh, two women and it was basically just to say that your children won't be receiving therapy anytime soon. No physiotherapist, no, no speech and language therapist, no occupational therapist. Undoubtedly you're asking questions, so mm. what are you being told? Well, we're not really being communicated with bar the family forum meetings that we have. Mm-hmm. And it's just to say that things aren't improving. Um, staffing is the big issue. What impact has, has the lack of services had on your children? Um, that they're not progressing, they're not making progress. I mean, the whole point about these services is to try and get them young. And as parents, all we want them, all we want to achieve is for them to be independent. I mean, you're here in this town of Tume. It's synonymous really with neglect of children, um, as we've seen with the uh, mother and baby home. Some people ask, well, what is going to be the scandal of this age? What will people talk about in 30 years saying, yeah, that was... That was awful. This is it. The, the neglect of our disabled children. That is the scandal of our age. And it's happening here, not just in Tume, but nationwide. There are children in other European countries they're not suffering like our children are suffering and that's not right. So that was Thomas Lawless and that was about five weeks ago. So Brian, has anything changed? Well unfortunately families I've been speaking to over the weekend say there hasn't been a change. The majority I talked to said they haven't had contact from the HSE since they talked about their experiences. They also point to a family forum meeting. This was committed to, it was postponed and they say they haven't had contact about how and when they'll be able to access these vital services. There has been some action, as I said, confirmed that the HSE is to conduct an internal review into the situation in the Grove and examine just why it is families have been left without services for so long. I got an update from Minister Rabbit over the weekend, which we'll come to, but five weeks on, as I say, Claire, family said they could see little in way of progress. Now, I spoke to Thomas Lawless again on Friday. He mentioned the fact that although Ireland ratified the UN Convention on the Right of Persons with Disabilities in 2018, we haven't ratified an additional protocol. This would strengthen the convention. So in terms of his own situation, I asked Thomas, had there been any improvement in terms of accessing services his children need? Nothing has changed really on the ground at the moment. I mean, we've seen the ads uh, on Facebook for recruitment, which is something uh, positive. But as far as I can see, nothing has changed with regards to actually accessing uh, services at the moment. Has anyone from the HSE contacted you in the past four weeks to explain what's happening? No, no one has uh, contacted us to explain the situation. Uh, The only contact I've had with the Child Disability Network team is to tell us that our family forum meeting has been delayed. And these meetings are important because it's it's the forum whereby you can express your frustration and your anger and ask questions of the HSE. 
not just that that's the only way that we're communicated with um so one thing that has been committed uh, to is um, a review into the workings of the child disability network team in Shum, and that's something uh, I think all parents uh, connected this child disability network team welcome. What do you want to come out of that review? I suppose we would like to understand why things are the way they are. It's difficult in accessing services with this child disability network team, and why it seems to be an underperforming child disability network team compared to others. So it calls me and other parents when we see ads saying disability rights or human rights, uh, when this government won't even uh, fully ratify the UN Convention with the optional protocol. Now, I know you got a response, Brian, from the HSE locally and also from Minister Rabbit, but the problems here in children's disability services, they're not just related to TUM, are they? No, unfortunately, I asked the HSE for a breakdown of all children disability network teams and what the staffing vacancy rates were in each. This information was accurate as of mid-December and it shows significant levels of vacancies across the country. As Thomas said, there is a significant recruitment campaign underway. You might have seen the ads on social media, for example. But in the meantime, vacancy levels mean long waits for families, not just in Tuam. Just to give you a sense, clear of the kind of vacancy levels in the 91 teams across the country. So this was released in a HSE report in mid-December. Some of the highest staff vacancy rates are, for example, Finglas, 57% vacancy rate in the Children's Network Disability team there. Port Leash, 54%. Kell, 65%. Gorey, 68%. Right across the country, if you look at the reported average vacancy rates per area, it's in the range of 19%, I think was the lowest I found, up to 43%. That's the average. So really significant staff vacancy rates in all areas with some really high uh, in certain parts. Speech and language posts, occupational therapy and psychology, they had the biggest number of unfulfilled posts. Brian O'Connell reporting this morning on another bad day for children with disabilities and their carers in this wonderful country of ours. There are two referendums on the way in March and on this afternoon's Live Line, Joe Duffy spoke to Eddie about what he discovered on the electoral register. I got concerned, really concerned, when when the message that I received came up, and it states, and I'm going to read it out to you, if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah. It says that the electoral registration process has now changed. Mm-hmm. Even if you are already registered, you now need to add your PPSN number, your date of birth, and your ear code. This is to facilitate the local county council to make sure that everything is correct about your, your registration. Now, my query is this. When I went on to the uh, check your, your register.ie, oh. there's two red boxes that's coming up. And unless you fill in those details that they're seeking, I'm, I'm afraid that we will not get our voting cards. Now, we never, uh, we never had to, uh, once you register for your vote, your voting card is issued every time there is an election. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, my fear is this, that if these details that the register is looking for, your PPSN number, your date of birth and your ear code, if they're not added on to the the registered list in in every local county council registrar, that will we get our voting card? That's my fear. Now, when you said you you got this message, who did you get the message from? It it came up on my Facebook page. Yeah, but who who authored it? Is it a local authority? No, no. It's, it's coming from the, the, the website um, www.checktheregister.ie and when you go on and everything that I'm looking at is there. So, so it, it, this, this is not a scam, Joe. This is legit. 
I know, I take your point. Um, so I, I'm fair now. So what's it, okay? So so what's your what's your worry? You, you don't want to give your PPS number. You don't want to give no, your no, air no, code. No, 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 no. I've given all the details because uh, those red boxes that came up on the website, and if I did not give the details, those red boxes would not go away, and I could not register. So my fear is this, Joe: that will I get my register my voting card when it when it comes? as you say, for the referendum and for local and European and general yeah. elections. Now, if these details are not added. Now, are you already on the electoral register? I am, yes. And have you moved okay. home? or have you, have you, no, Is no, there any, any no. reason to update your info? No. There's none, there's none whatsoever. I, uh, look, Joe, I'm in my mid-60s and I always use my vote. Whenever yeah, election brilliant, can, brilliant. I Everyone vote. should, yeah. Everybody should. Now, my fear is this, that... Um, the, the process has now changed. So what has changed about it? And it, will this change uh, stop me and everybody else that does not register on the website? Will it stop us from getting our voting card? OK, it says, I'm looking at the website, and was earlier on. It says, if I'm not registered, apply online to register. You will need your PPS and you will need your air code. But that's only if you're not already on the register. Well, this is saying even if you are already registered, that's you true. Need, it is ambiguous. Okay, you're you're, you're dead right. Uh, uh, another section: If I'm already registered, check your details. Yes. If you haven't already done so, complete the yes. online application form to add your PPS number and your date of birth, so that your local authority can confirm your yes. details. If you have changed your name and or address, complete the online application to. Um, to update your details. <laughs> now, our understanding is from the Department of Excuse me, Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage. They say in their statement, and we asked for a spokesperson because it's a long, long, detailed statement. They say if you're already registered, you don't have to go on to it. Well, that's what I'm. I'm not but it, that but, job, but, but, it, but, it, but I take your point. It is totally ambiguous on the website. Yes, isn't that true? That's true. I, I, if I'm already registered, check your details if you haven't already done so. Complete yeah. the online application form to add your PPS and your DOB so that you're local. It doesn't say if you're already registered and you check and you're on the register, you don't have to do anything else. But what they're, what they're implying, if you haven't already done so, check your details, complete the online application to add your PPS and DOB. So that is a change. But they're saying to us, they're saying to us, re-registration is not required to vote in an electoral event. Well, why don't they say this on the website? Absolutely. This is, see, this is my concern, that, that uh, we will, if we do not fill, fill, re-register on the website and give the details that they're looking for, even even yeah. we are already registered, that makes no difference. Even though we are already registered, this ha- has to be done. Well, then because gonna... there's a change coming up. So I, I'm afraid, Joe, that if You people... know, like, and, and Eddie, you found another one here, and you're, you've, you've spotted it very well, by the way. The electoral regist- registration process has changed, even if you are already registered. You see? You that, now need to add your PPS, date of birth, and air code. And That's yet I have, I have in my hand a long, long statement from the Department of Local Government and they say re-registration is not required to vote well, in no, an electoral there's event. There's a contradiction there, Joe. There's a serious contradiction there. So there is. That's Eddie talking to Joe Duffy about the confusion created by the Check the Register website on this afternoon's Live Line. 
Back in the 9 o'clock show, and Shea Byrne spoke to GAA player Derek O'Connor about his experience of a medical emergency and the man who likely saved his life. What happened last September in that, that day in Fairview Park? What, what happened that morning before it? Um, just grew up like a, like a normal day. We had been up the night beforehand, a bit late, so grew up a bit tired that day, so we just took it out being, being tired. And um, as I went, my brother, my brother's son was having having a birthday, so we went down there, dropped the present off, and it was a bit late for the match, so just went inside the hall and seen my brother himself, and he said to me, James, you don't look too well. I says, I just put it down to being tired, it was just a blade. And I was opening a bleeding can of monster then when he seen me. I says, this thing will bleed and ki- this thing will kill me. If he's- I'll drop on the field if I have this thing. And little that I know, I bleed and did. Well, and, then, and just to point out, you, you, the reason you'd been up late. Sorry? The reason you'd been up late the night before is because your your girlfriend was pregnant at the time and, and wasn't yes, well. You, yes, weren't, you yeah. weren't out. No, no, we really go out. Um, the girlfriend was up. I'm sure it was, the, I'm sure it was a... Oh, but the girlfriend, yeah, she was pregnant. It was either that or I was up playing the game. One of them I was, yeah. <laughs> Listen, just say the girlfriend because that's what you need to say. Yeah, Don't say you're up playing games. I did say it. I, I said it to a chap writing an article there the other day. The missus read the article and she pulled me the next day saying, you didn't do that, you're up playing the game, but... I'll say I was up. Okay, because this, li- this is not live on the radio to 360,000 people, so you'll be fine. Uh, but look, this is quite... quite <laughs> <laughs> um, how, do you mind me asking how old you are, Derek? I was t- 23. So you're a young man. You're a very young man. Yeah. So you put, it down, you put it down to being tired and you go out to play the game. What happens? It was like any, like any other day. I was groupy or getting ready, a few stretches, wherever else. To be honest, to be honest I, I can really remember it now. I only remember going back to replay the match like 10, 10, probably 8 to 10 weeks later. I remembered walking back onto the field. But other than that, I can't remember much. Like I still, to this day, I still can't remember that. And I just, from other people's perspective, I can, from what I was told, like that's all I remember. Well, it's very important to, to say that you scored a goal during that match before this happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that's... that's every, everybody said that's what did it. That's what did it for me. That's very important it's to rare, say. It's a rare that you scored a goal. Like. <laughs> well, you were, playing, you were playing against St. Joseph's and Paul Moore, who's a player, was on the sideline. Paul, good morning to you. How are you now, Shay? So, Paul, you, you, good morning to you. You might, you, just to say that you are a firefighter as well, that you work with the, the, with the fire brigade and, and, and the ambulance service um, and the yeah, Dublin yeah. Fire Brigade Ambulance. Um, so you're standing on the sideline. He's just scored a magnificent goal. And what happens next? Do you see him? Well, uh, I don't remember too much about the goal, Shay, to be honest, but uh, we, were getting, <laughs> we, were getting well, we were getting well being at the time, you know. So, uh, and um, so... Uh, the, all I heard was a uh, commotion on the other side of the pitch. So I turned around and uh, straight away I seen Derek on the ground. He didn't look good, you know. So we ran straight across. And when I got there, um, there was a bit of panic, you know. There was a couple of lads standing around him and he didn't look well at all, you know. So in, it, just with my experience on the animals and stuff, uh, I thought straight away, I said, this doesn't look good, you know. Uh, so I checked his pulse. Um, he had no pulse, so he was in cardiac arrest. And uh, I just started down uh, CPR, chest compression, straight away. He was, and, uh, he was, was he still vaguely conscious at this stage? As, uh, no, you, no, he was, he was like, it was like seizure. Cardiac arrest, when you're, when you're going into cardiac, it's nearly like uh, seizure-like activity, you know. Um, he's just shaking, basically, and agonal respirations. Um, so he's, he's trying to, his body is, 
I'm trying to breed, but it, it's not it's not proper breaths, you know. And um, so basically, I just knew straight away from seeing it in work a couple of times, you know, uh, that he was in cardiac arrest. What, 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 what did you? What instructions did you issue to the people around you? You started CPR. Well, what did you say to the people around you? I just you? asked the lads to try and find a defib, uh, defibrillator. You know, um, I said try the dressing rooms, shops. Um, I said ring an ambulance straight away. Like, we were only across the road in North Sound Forest Station, uh, thankfully. So yeah. So um, so for people who don't know Fairview Park, it's on the north side of Dublin. It's on what, what just off the Malahide yeah. Road, heading for the Artane Roundabout. So yeah, it's about, yeah, it's about yeah. a five minute drive from town. But your fire station is the next. So the next junction is your fire station. Or oh, the yeah, North you Strand, can, you're not your fire yeah. station, but the next. You can is see the, the fire station from the park, you know. Yeah. So the lads, the lads go, the, the lads go into action and start running around the shops. Where did they get a defib? So uh, I think they tried the dressing rooms. They couldn't see one in the dressing room. So I think, as far as I know, they ran across the Tesco. Correct. And they got one at Tesco. It's just there at Fairview, you know. It's just directly and, across. Um, so well done to, to Tesco and any other people yeah. who have uh, defibs yeah. there. So the defib comes back to you. What happens? Um. Basically, the, the defib was given to me, and I just I put the pads on, and uh, the, the defib was able to tell me that Derek was in uh, a VF arrest, and I hit the button to, to shock him, and I got a shock in, and um, that restarted his heart, um, but he, he went into cardiac arrest again, and just uh, as the ambulance was pulling up, we put uh, we gave him another shock, and he got his heart going again, and uh, just got him into the matter straight away. Um, so there was crews there from North and actually a crew from Fisbury arrived as well with advanced paramedics. They were able to give him some more drugs and stuff, you know, to so keep him going till they, till they got him into the, the matter husband. So. Those heart first aid drugs, which can be in the golden few minutes, can be very important. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. And there's more and more advanced paramedics in the in the city. Yeah, well, um, in, in Dublin Fire Brigade at the moment, um, they're constantly training up lads all the time to upscale to advanced paramedic level, you know, and um, same with the HSE, the HSE. Yeah, and that's been programs going on as well. Implemented around and, around the country. Yeah, the, you, you, I know you try and make sure there's a couple um, on the watch uh, any time, you know. So they can administer those drugs. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly, yeah. Look, I know you're an experienced firefighter, but you must have got a shock yourself. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I've, I've never seen that now outside of work, you know, so it was... It was it was a bit of a bit of a fright, all right. You know, you don't expect that to happen in, a, in the middle of a football match on a nice sunny day, like so. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, but uh, thankfully, Derek made a full recovery. And, I suppose it's know. important to say about defibs; they are extraordinarily useful and important. Oh, items. absolutely! Yeah, they, they don't necessarily work in every case. No, but um, without the defib, we wouldn't have got Derek's heart on again. You know, you can yeah. do CPR all day, but you need the electrical shock to restart the heart. You know, that's if that's the, where the, the if CPR that's, is just keeping it going until you get the defib. Yeah, keeping uh, it, keeping the, the, the brain supplied with oxygen. But yeah, exactly. But, but if yeah, it isn't, yeah. it isn't an event, a cardiac event that re, that is an electrical event as such, then the defib won't be. But the defib will tell you yeah. if it's needed to be used. So it's very, very, yeah, very, very, very exactly. important. Yeah, you can't give a shock to a person with a, with a heart that's beating normally. You know. Yeah, the, the, the machine, the brilliant machines, won't allow you yeah. to do it now yeah. as well. Remarkable story, firefighter and GAA player Paul Moore. And the player whose life he saved, Derek O'Connor, talking to Shea Byrne on the 9 o'clock show this morning. Finally, on this edition of Playback Daily, Claire Byrne posed the question this morning, what works best as a wind-down watch just before bed at the end of the day? There to provide the answers were entertainment and culture journalist Rory Cashin and first, Dr Sabina Brennan, neuroscientist and psychologist. 
What does watching something difficult, stimulating, challenging, what does that do to our sleep? You see, I'm not going to be popular, right? <laughs> and I have to say, don't shoot the messenger. And I love crime thrillers and, and all those kind of things. But really, the effectiveness of uh, TV as a means to relax and wind down is really very, very questionable. And the brain definitely, it definitely requires rest and periods of of. of, of winding down but the thing is men- brain waves vary with mental states um so beta waves very quickly indicate alertness and focus and alpha waves occur when we are relaxed and facilitate what's brilliant about it when we're relaxed like that say when we're daydreaming or meditating um uh Actually, it facilitates information processing. It facilitates learning and memory. So essentially, the key is giving your your brain a break, not by doing nothing, but by switching tasks. Now, EEG studies show that during TV watching, very high functioning areas of our brain, like the neocortex used for analysis and reasoning, they become inactive. But the visual cortex is highly stimulated, as you can imagine, from a TV show. And this results in a really unique state where the brain is not fully engaged and it's not fully relaxed. So the neurons continue to fire, but they're not actively processing it. So kind of count Counterintuitively, um, relaxation is more about sort of changing your focus, daydreaming, powering off, or actually engage in, engaging in something um, that fully gets your focus, you know, where you get into the flow. Mm-hmm. And TV doesn't do either. Okay, so you, you would prefer <laughs> us just to switch the thing off for about an hour? Well, no, I'm, I mean, I think if, if sleep is your focus, if sleep is your focus and you do want to watch, because there's nothing wrong with watching something, you know, for the fun of it. But if you're thinking of watching it to wind down, that's where the issue rises. So okay. if you are going to watch something that's very, very stimulating, um, watch it earlier in the evening and then engage in an unwinding activity for about an hour before bed. Okay. That well, would be what, what I'm saying. Sabina, myself and Rory are going to completely ignore all of that advice now. <laughs> Absolutely. I figured I ignore my own advice sometimes. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Cause, do you cause... know, I'm, I'm, I can do the binge watch thing myself. In fact, I've done it recently. Listen, so. it's, it's almost impossible if you get into something that you're really enjoying. But Rory, you have come up with some things that you think are suitable for us to watch if we're thinking about winding down. And we're going to start with a legal series. This has the claim to fame, of course, that the member of the British royal family is one of the cast members. Let's have a listen and then we'll chat. You wanted to see me? Yes. Gary, please come in. Mike, this is Gary Lipsky. Gary's one of our most promising associates from last year. Hi. (laughs) Gary, Ms. Pearson wanted me to ask, have you completed the Petrenko filing? Oh, well, my brother was in over the weekend, so I didn't really get to it. Gary, come on. This is like the third time I've had to ask. I'll get right on it. Don't bother. You're fired. What? You can't fire me. Oh, yes, I can. And I just did. Go pack up your things. Don't you ever show your face in this place again. See, I arranged for you to see that. Because we pay our associates very well, and we provide the opportunity for unlimited advancement. But in return, we expect results. Have I made myself clear? Yeah. Great. 
Welcome to Pearson Orphan. So that is a <laughs> character from Suits, Lewis Litt, welcoming a new hire to the firm. Why have you picked this, Rory? Because this is old, you know, in TV terms. Yeah, I think the, the idea behind Wind Down TV is, and I think something that people will pick over and over again to help them wind down is something they've already seen. It is the comfort of knowing exactly where the story is going and something that you've enjoyed the first time and there's no surprises in the second, third, fourth rewatch. And I think that's why a lot of the most popular shows, especially on streaming and something that you would rewatch if it's broadcast, is sitcoms because the status quo never really changes. You can dip in at any episode and there's no, where's that episode? Where's that character gone? Why are they in a relationship now? Everything is mostly the same no matter when in the show you come in. So you can switch your brain off. In my opinion, yes, to an extent, because you already know what every line of dialogue is. You already know every plot twist that's coming, but you enjoy it so much and you enjoy spending time with the character so much that you kind of don't mind Mm -hmm. that you've seen it before. And the reason why I picked Suits is because it was actually the most watched show on Netflix for 2023. I, I was reading it was uh, there was over three billion minutes of it watched, uh, and it was it was a late addition to the streaming service, and people weren't sure if it was even going to do particularly well because the previous hits on Netflix that they acquired that weren't original Netflix shows were like. Uh, Friends or The Office uh, USA or Schitt's Creek, like those shows, again, all sitcoms, all the people could rewatch uh, mm-hmm. forever and there's no changes to them. Uh, but the reason why I think they've gone with Suits and the reason why it's proved to be so popular is the Meghan Markle uh, connection. So obviously a uh, very popular kind of angle for people to get in on. But again, it's the closest version to a drama that a sitcom could be coming out of America because it's got very attractive people with great chemistry but the status quo never really changes from episode to episode. So it's not too challenging. Exactly. Culture journalist Rory Cashin and Dr Sabina Brennan neuroscientist and psychologist talking to Claire Byrne this morning about what works best as a wind down watch before bedtime. And that's all I have for you on this edition of Playback Daily. The programme was compiled, written and edited by me, Neil O'Sheridan. Don't forget, you can listen back to all the programmes featured on Playback Daily on the RTE radio app. Until the next time, thank you for listening and good luck. <laughs>